Well, hey, good morning, church family. Good to be with you today and online. I want to welcome you, and uh, so good to be back. Two weeks ago, I got COVID, and thankfully, uh, just by God's grace, just been able to feel a whole lot better. My dad preached last weekend for me, which was fantastic. And uh, can I, I have a great doctor who helped take care of me. My mother-in-law is actually a school nurse at an elementary, and can we just take a moment to thank all of our healthcare professionals. If you're a doctor, nurse in here, you help anybody in that regard. We just want to say thank you. We know your schedule and life is overwhelmed, and we just want to say thank you. And it is good to be together. It is good to sing that sometimes in our darkest moments, we have a Savior who is with us, who's conquered everything, and that's who we worship. And if it's your first time here, especially in the new year, I want to welcome you. My name is Nate, one of the pastors here. It is good to be together. Thankful that you're here. And if you're a Bengals fan here today... And uh, you made a promise to the Lord that if he made that field goal, you would go to church. We want to welcome you and thank you for being faithful to your commitment to the Lord. And uh, for the Packers fans, the cross is over there after the service. And uh, we would love to pray with you for your struggle and suffering. Uh, but I love this season of football and I love this time of the new year as we kick off this series, Dear Church. And there's something about a new year that we all have, even if you're not a believer in Jesus, but you're here today going, I, I think there's something more that life is about. Uh, there's something about a new year that we desire change. We desire new and, and what we're doing in this series called Dear Church is we're letting Jesus speak for himself to say, Jesus, we want to hear what you have to say, not only to the churches in Revelation, but the good news today is this, is that Jesus wants to speak to you and I. You know, this is the question that we're going to be answering through this series and that Jesus answered to the church in Revelation was this, how do you and I stand firm when it feels like everything in this world is shaking. Man, when it feels like everything in our, our daily rhythms and life, I've talked to a number of you all, I even talked to somebody this morning and, and uh, we were just honest. We said, we know it's the beginning of the new year. We know we have this new church steady, but it's okay to come into church and go, I know it's a new year, but man, I'm, I'm already tired. I'm already overwhelmed. And, and I wanted the start of a new year, but and Jesus isn't asking you and I to come in here and just kind of fake it till you make it. Jesus actually tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all of you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. And so for the tired and the burdened and the weary today, Jesus says, just open your heart and your life, and I want to speak directly to you today. That's why we're doing this series, Dear Church, and I really am so proud of our life group team who put this together. There's daily devotions for you just to be with the Lord and uh, to walk. Sometimes, you know, the Bible can be overwhelming and we go, man, I don't even know how to start reading the Bible. This helps you begin just to take a couple verses at a time, daily at a time, to allow the Word of God and the presence of God to speak directly into your heart. Because this is what I find amazing in the book of Revelation is this, Jesus calls each church by their name. And not only does he call them by their name, he speaks directly to what they're facing. Now here's the deal for you and I, when somebody calls our name, it depends on what name they say, right? Right, if somebody calls you by your first name, they're just trying to get your attention. Hey Nate, right? But when I hear Nathan Wayne, it ain't good. I just get, you know what I'm saying? When that Wayne comes out, you know, when the middle name gets called, and some of you know that, right? You're looking at your parent right now. You're like, I know that look, right? And, and, and here's the thing is this. Sometimes whoever kind of has spoken into our name, we begin to live according to what they say we are or what they think we are. 
Matter of fact, I found this out in kindergarten uh, because I had cousins who, because, you know, Wayne's kind of a weird middle name, you know, but it's a family deal. My grandpa's middle name's Wayne, my dad, my name. So I blessed my two boys with that, right? You know, and thought about calling them John Wayne, but, you know, I was like, that's kind of cruel, right? And, uh, you know, in seventh grade, when they're embarrassed of you and I'd pick them up at the movie theater, I'd be like, John Wayne, get in the car, right? You know, and then the Lord's like, do not do that to your kids, right? And, uh, but I remember in kindergarten, because my cousins, just jokingly, this is what they called me as a kid, Nathan Wayne, the little bird brain. And, that, and that's what, that's right. And so in kindergarten, they, they, you, know that, you know how they pull kids out of the, the classroom and they kind of test you to see if you're ready to move on. And I remember clear as day, the teacher, you know, pulled me out of class. Okay, what's your name? What's your address? What's your phone number? They'd ask that stuff. And the lady asked me, what's your name? Nathan Wayne little bird brain. <laughs> she said, okay, that's your nickname. What's your name? Nathan Wayne, the little bird brain. <laughs> Those two years of kindergarten were the best years of my life. And uh, no, no, I did, you know, I, did, I only did one year, but, but I remember the lady told me, she said, you go home and find out your name. That's not your name. Turns out, Bird brain's not my name, right? It's Nathan Wayne Ross. And here's the thing. I grew up just as a kid because of what people had said. That's who I thought I was. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus knows your name. He knows your struggle. And he has a word for you today. This is why we love. This is why we worship. Because in sometimes our life, we've had people speak into us. Maybe you have spoken names over yourself. And that's who you believe you are. That's who you think you'll only be. And that's why actually today you find yourself stuck wanting something new. And the invitation for you and I today is this, to allow Jesus to speak for himself. What's amazing is this, in the book of Revelation, if you look at it, you'll begin to find red letters in the book of Revelation, which means this, Jesus is still speaking to his church. I, I did a little research on this, and what I found out was amazing is this, is 1899, there's a man by the name of Louis Klopsch. And he was a book editor and uh, he was reading Luke chapter 22 one day when Jesus said this, he said with his disciples, this is my body that's broken for you and this is my blood that's of the new covenant. And Lewis was so moved by that, he asked his managing editor, he said, could I make a version of the Bible, not that I change any of the words, but could I make a version of the Bible that wherever Jesus spoke, we put it in red letters. And what's amazing is this, Sometimes we make the mistake and we think Jesus only speaks in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and now he's done speaking and he's in heaven, and you and I just have to hopefully make it through well and not fail the test until the end of our life. And what you find is this, when Lewis Klopsch did that, this is why the Bible has red letters now, is because you begin to see everywhere where Jesus is speaking. When you turn to the book of Acts, what you find is this, Jesus himself is speaking to the apostle Paul, who at the time was Saul, and he said this to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? And then he calls the man Ananias. He says, Ananias, I'm sending you to go rescue my servant Saul, because I've called him to take my message to the Gentiles. Here's what we find amazing about Jesus in the Bible and what we find Jesus doing today is this. Jesus is speaking directly to you and I today. 
This is why I feel like the Lord has put this on our heart as a church family. And this is our goal, not just within this series, but this is our goal for 2022. If you said, Nate, what do you feel like the Lord is calling Northside to do in 2022? This is the best way I can summarize what the Lord has spoke into my heart of saying, this is what I want to do in the life of the church. And I pray that this would be your prayer and goal this year is simply this, is that you and I would be discipled by Jesus himself this year. That you and I would allow the savior of the world through the power of the Holy Spirit speak into our life and to guide us. That his voice would be the loudest voice in your life, that his voice would be the loudest voice in, in my life, and that Jesus himself would disciple you and I. Because that's what we find him doing in the book of Revelation. See, you and I don't need to be afraid of the book of Revelation. A lot of people, we're, we're afraid of it, aren't we? We, we don't understand it. It's kind of spooky. You know, it talks about dragons and beasts and this and that. And we kind of go, oh, I'll just leave that for the pastor. I'm not going to read that, right? Here's what Jesus does. Jesus allows Revelation not to be a scary book, but when John wrote it through the power of the Holy Spirit given by Jesus, it was a book of encouragement to the church who was facing a very shaky time. Each week, what we're going to find is this. Jesus speaks to a different circumstance that the church is facing. And the good news for you and I, as we go through this over the next several weeks and as we go through this year, is Jesus himself is wanting to speak to you and I. Too many times, here's the problem with the book of Revelation. Sometimes people just use it to figure out what timeline we are on and guess when Jesus is coming back and that's all we obsess about. And so everybody kind of becomes doomsday prophets and this and that, and we run around and we freak people out. Matter of fact, my dad has a book in his library, and this is literally the name of the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. It's out of print now, right? You know what I'm saying? You know, here we are, you know, over 30 years later, and we're like totally off, right? And here's what happens. Sometimes we only look at Revelation and we only try to figure out when Jesus comes back, like that is the only message of Revelation. Here is the heart of Revelation is this. How do you and I be faithful to Jesus in our day and age? That's why Jesus wrote to the churches. He's going, I'm with you. I'm standing with you. I know what you're going through. We're going to look at the church in Ephesus today. Jesus knows exactly what they're facing. And he's going to speak into it every week. We're going to do this. You know, here's another thing about Revelation I found out that's interesting. Sometimes we think it only applies to today stuff and, and we're trying to figure these things out. Did you know in the book of Revelation, there's over 500 references to the Old Testament? See, when John wrote this, he was drawing back to the faithfulness and the consistency of God. And the same God who was faithful to his people then is the same God who's faithful to his people today. And he's going, so no matter what you face, we have a savior who's with us, who knows what we're going through and speaks into our life. Now, here's the thing though about Revelation. It's a book unlike any other book in the Bible. And here's why. It takes three different genres and puts them together. You see the prophetic, you see the apocalyptic, meaning there's symbols that symbolize things. And then you see pastoral epistles in there. It's like a remix of a song. Uh, one of my professors in Bible college uh, wrote a, a commentary on Revelation, and this is what he called it, Revelation Rhapsody, listening to the lyrics of the Lamb. Now, here's what you know about a rhapsody. A rhapsody is all these different things. Now, as soon as I read that book, and this is just the way I'm wired, my mind immediately went to, and you can guess what song, 
Bohemian Rhapsody, right? You know, and I just started singing opera, right? When I'm reading, you know, this commentary. Now, here's the thing, just real quick, just so this will kind of maybe help your mind understand Revelation. In Bohemian Rhapsody, that song, you go, what type of song is that song? I don't know, right? It's a ballad, it's opera. There's guitar, there's hard rock. You have all these things in that song and at the end of the day you go, it's a song. And see, at the end of the day of Revelation, you have all these things built in, but here's the thing, it's all about God's heart. What God wanted most when he gave this word through Jesus to the apostle John to give to the churches is this. He wanted you and I to know who he is and how you and I can stand firm when it feels like the ground beneath us is just shaking and falling apart. You and I can have confidence in the midst of the conflict. You and I can have hope when we face despair. Matter of fact, listen how, um, right before we get to his letter to the church of Ephesus, I just wanna read the first three verses of Revelation in chapter one. Just John writes, this is through the power of the Holy Spirit and he writes to encourage and listen to what he says. In Revelation chapter one, verse one through three, he says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So revelation of Jesus. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, sending his spirit, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what revelation is. It's the testimony of Jesus. And then listen to what it says in verse three. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Here's what we need to know today. When we open God's word, when we look at this, we need to know this. Jesus wants to bless us with his word today. Jesus wants to give us confidence in his word today. Matter of fact, there's seven churches that he's going to write to, and there's different issues. And each week within this series, we're, we're going to look at a different issue. Next week, we're going to look at suffering. For some of us in this place, you are going through tremendous suffering for being faithful followers of Jesus, and he's going to speak to that. But what I want to do real quick is I just want to show you a map real quick. This is modern-day Turkey, but this is where all the churches that Jesus wrote to in the early church you kind of see this circle that's forming and Jesus doesn't leave any church out. What we find too is there's some churches that are so small and insignificant, but what Jesus says is this, I don't care if you feel insignificant today, I have a word for you. I have hope for you. And so what I wanna to do today is we look at the letter and we break down God's word to the church in Ephesus and it encourages us today. I wanna to do something a little bit different. Matter of fact, we're gonna do this every week because Jesus wants to speak fresh to us today. Here's what I wanna do. If you would, would you guys stand with me? I know it's a little bit different, all right? You're like, we're not gonna sing again, are we? No, you don't want me singing lead you in song, right? Here's what I wanna do. We're gonna put up Jesus's letter to the church in Ephesus. I'm gonna read it out loud. And what I wanna do, just as we're standing here today, this is just a, a, a way to honor God, to go, God, we're standing because we wanna hear from you today. God, we respect your word. We want your word to bless us today. So listen to what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, meaning the churches, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, church, your hard work and your perseverance. I know you nursery workers that change other kids' diapers, right? And God bless you for doing that. 
I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name. Great job. And you've not grown weary, church. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, meaning those who place their hope and their victory in Jesus, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You guys can have a seat. Here's what I love about Jesus in this passage and what he speaks to you and I today is this. If you're taking notes, if you've got your booklet and there's a whole sermon notes section in here, we would encourage you to bring this every week with you. Here's what Jesus is saying is this. In every letter, this is what you're gonna find. Jesus comforts and Jesus challenges us. We have a God who comforts us and we have a God who challenges us. See, that's what a good parent does, doesn't it? That's what a good coach does. That's what a good leader does. Jesus doesn't just show up on the scene beating people in the head going, you a bunch of sinners, when are you gonna get your act together? Jesus shows up on the scene and he says this, hey, remember, I hold all of the churches together. I hold this together. When it feels like you can't hold your life together, remember, I hold it together. And then he says this, and I walk among you. I'm with you. And then I love what he says, I know your good deeds. I know those times for some of you when you have been faithful to Jesus and your boss or other people made fun of you for being faithful and everybody maybe made fun of you or nobody actually complimented you. I I know that time. I know that time that you could have stole from your organization because you're like the CFO and you could have done whatever you wanted and you had an opportunity to take money and you said, no, I'm a follower of Jesus and nobody complimented you. Nobody gave you a raise for being faithful. But Jesus says this, I know your deeds. I know your perseverance. Don't worry. When nobody else compliments you, I know your faithfulness. I see it and I'm with you. See, we have a God who compliments. We have a God who loves and he encourages and he comforts us. Jesus sees the good that the church in Ephesus is doing. He's going, you're persevering, you're holding. You don't allow false teaching to come in. You love the word of God. You love humility. You want Jesus to reign. But then he says this, yet I hold this against you. See, Jesus is 100% grace, he's also 100% truth. For some of us, we like one or the other, don't we? For me personally, I love to just encourage people, right? That's why I know being a greeter at Walmart is my retirement plan, right? You know, welcome, come on in, man. We have everything you need, right? I can't wait to encourage people. I love to give grace. I love to build up. And you know where I struggle? I struggle to speak truth. And here's why. Because sometimes when we speak truth to people or we have to confront things, did you know this? Not everybody likes truth being spoken to you. 
right? Now, some of you are like, I think that's my spiritual gift, right? You're like, my spiritual gift is breaking people down, right? I love to make people cry, right? You know? And we're like, well, I don't know if that's Jesus, right? But here's the thing about Jesus. Yeah, I know, right? Some of you are no elbowing people, right? You know? But here's the thing about Jesus. He's 100% grace. He's 100% truth. And here's the good news. Today, you may need to grow in grace. And Jesus goes, I know, grow in me. Or maybe you're like me. Maybe you need to grow in telling people the truth and not being so afraid of what others might think of you. And he goes, hey, I want to show you that way. See, Jesus comforts and he challenges. He tells the church, he goes, church, I love what you're doing. You're taking care of people. You love the word of God. You're persevering for my name. I love it. But here's the thing. This is what I hold against you. And this is what he says. He doesn't say, this is what I hold against you. You should do more and you should work harder. You know what he says? You've forsaken your first love. You're missing the main thing. See, this is an easy temptation for us when we become Christians. Sometimes we can begin to believe this. What it means to be a Christian is you go to church and that's it. Oh, it's good to go to church. It's good to gather with the saints. It's good to encourage each other. It is good to glorify God. But you know what's even better than going to church? Allowing the love of God to be your identity. This is what God called his people to in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, you know what the most important thing, Israel, that you can do is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know what Jesus said is the most important thing that you and I can do when he was pressed? You know, here there are, there's 613 Old Testament laws. And a man came to him and he said, what's the most important law? He's trying to trick Jesus. And he goes, oh, easy, this one law. Here it is, Mark chapter 12. He says, here's the greatest thing. Here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus is this, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love who? Your neighbor as what? Yourself. You know how you love yourself well? And you know how you love your neighbor well? It's this, you allow God to love you well. This is what Jesus called out in the church of Ephesus. He's like, you are doing all these things. Man, you're serving in the nursery. You're doing these great things. You've signed up to go to Guatemala. I love it. I love it. And I see it. And I see it. But church in Ephesus is what he says. He goes, you're doing all this stuff. But here's what's beginning to happen. You're getting real busy. And you're forsaking your first love. See, this can happen if, we, if we're not careful as Christians. I, I know for some of us in this season, we're just exhausted and things have changed in our life and we have all these rhythms going on. And you know why Jesus calls them out to this? This is what he's saying. He says, here's what's most important, more than just what you do. What we do matters. But he says this, here's what is most important. It's this, is that you and I would love first. That you and I would be loved by God first. And out of that time of being loved by God, we would begin to love our neighbor with a love that we don't even possess. That we would be able to love ourselves well. You know how you overcome the names that you've allowed people to define you or maybe the name that you define yourself by your failure is this. Is you allow the love of God to be the center of your life. Because here's what begins to happen. And this is what was happening in the church. The church was beginning to define themselves by their work. This is why sometimes we get out of balance Work becomes our world. Everything revolves around it. It dictates everything that we do. And so our rhythms with God become leftovers with God. 
And work just demands and it drives and it owns. And then here's what begins to creep in. It's not that you're not doing a good thing, it's this. It's that your work becomes your identity and then here becomes the deeper problem with this. If work's not going well, guess how you're doing? You're not doing well. I even struggle with this myself. Sometimes I go home from a sermon and I go, well, that wasn't good. Right, and some of you are like, yeah, I know, right? You know, and, you know, and this is what begins to happen. And on Sunday afternoon, there's this spiritual warfare that begins to happen in my life. Nate, are you gonna define your identity by how well the sermon went and how good the service went? Or are you gonna define yourself by the sacrifice of your savior? See, there's names that begin to own us and our work and our title and our performance begin to own us. And Jesus says, your work does not define you. My work on the cross defines you. I want you to live out of that love, church. You are doing a great thing, keep it up. But don't lose sight of your identity. Because I've loved you first. I've called you back to this love. See, what happens is this, Jesus goes on and he just tells him point blank, he says, hey, and if you don't repent, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna have to remove your lampstand because here's the only thing that defines the church. You know what makes the church the church? There's one person, you ready? Jesus, Jesus, King Jesus is what makes the church the church. And Jesus is like, if you're gonna have a church that's not built on me, that's not defined by me, that's not led by me, you're not my church. Not because I don't love you, I love you, but here's the thing, the church can only be sustained and grow on Jesus. Matter of fact, he tells his disciples this in Matthew chapter seven. He wasn't keeping this hidden from anybody. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 through 23, this is what he tells them in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. It's like, well, what, what, what's God's will? Just say it, Jesus, and I'll do it. He says, many will say to me on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Did we not do a bunch of great work? Then I will tell them plainly, here's God's will, you ready? I never, what? Knew you. You know what God's will is for you and I? It's to know him. It's to be discipled by him. It's to allow his spirit to be the loudest voice in our life. He goes on to say, away from me, you evildoers. Not because you weren't as good as me. He's going because my love didn't define your life. This is the warning to the church in Ephesus. I love what you're doing, church. But hey, in your work and in your busyness, you gotta make time for me. This is what I love about Jesus is this, he doesn't just say some things and then hopefully we figure it out. In verse five, listen to what he says, he points to what we need to do. He says in verse five, remember the height from which you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. Three things Jesus says, if you and I are gonna love him well, if we're gonna put him first, and there might be one of the three that speaks louder to you today, but he's speaking this to the church in Ephesus. He speaks it to you and I. He says three things and they all begin with R. This is why I love Jesus, right? You know, he puts alliteration in here, right? And he says, here's what loving Jesus first looks like. Three things. He says, remember, repent, and repeat. This is how we keep Jesus at the center of our life. 
He says, we remember him, we repent of any way that's not of Jesus, and then we repeat, we do the things at first. And, and what's amazing about this order, we gotta pay attention to the order. Jesus doesn't start with, you better get your act together, you better get back to church, you better get in a life group, you better sign up, and you're like, ah, you know, all this other stuff. Sometimes that's the voices that we listen to. Work, 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 work. Jesus says, here's this, what I want you to do. I just want you to remember the heights from which you've fallen. I just want you to think about my love for you. And as you think about my love for you, here's what I want it to do. I want you to begin to repent, which means simply this, to turn your life in a different direction. And as you're walking in this new direction, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what you did at first. See, our being with Jesus leads to our doing with Jesus, not the other way around. Our being with him are soaking in his scripture. This is why I love this booklet. It's just provided ways for us to stop. Here's what remember does. Remember means this. He's going, hey church, I just need you to take time to rest with God. That's what it is. It's taking time to rest with him. Now here's the thing. We're not good with silence, are we? Right? Sometimes it's just, we, we, you know, it's just silent. What do you do? Get your phone out, right? You ever find yourself doing this? Somebody's having a conversation with you and uh, they get their phone out and you don't know what to do, so you just get your phone out, right? You're just like, well, I don't know. I can't sit here in silence. We're, we're not good with this. And what Jesus tells the church to do is this. He goes, I just want you to remember the heights from which you've fallen. I want you to remember. I want you to come back to your first love. I want you to remember how much God loves you. I want you to remember what Jesus has done for you, that he has accepted you, that he has saved you, that he has changed you, that he's filled you with this Holy Spirit, that he's created and prepared you for good works, which he has planned for you to do in advance. That's Ephesians 2.10. God has these plans and he goes, here's what I want you to do though. I just want you to take time to be with me. The early desert fathers in the first couple hundred years after Christianity, they saw the culture going crazy and they had to get away from the culture and they're called the desert fathers and mothers because they just went to the desert to spend a ton of time with Jesus. And what they came back with this, they said, here's the three greatest enemies that they faced. Here it is in the first century. I find it fascinating that we deal with the same thing in the 21st century. They said the three greatest things that will impede us from a relationship with Jesus is this, hurry, crowds, and noise. Isn't that interesting? Here we are, 20 centuries later, in a hurry, surrounded by all sorts of voices and noise. What's amazing is this, John got this revelation from Jesus in isolation. For being a follower of Jesus and not renouncing Jesus and not saying Jesus is Lord, he was sent to exile on the island of Patmos. And it was there in exile away from his Christian brother and sisters that Jesus gave him a revelation to speak to the churches. See, here's the thing. When you and I are alone, we're actually never alone. Do you know that? That Jesus is with you. That Jesus is speaking into us. And one of the rhythms we've got to find in our life is this, it's time with our Savior. You know, John was on the island of Patmos, and during quarantine, I was on the island of our guest bedroom in the basement. And I'm an extrovert, and I was, I won't lie, I'm like, I got to be in this room for five days. This is probably going to be the worst five days of my life, right? I was going to talk to the wall. I was going to lead the, the wall to the Lord. I don't know how I was going to baptize it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just going, like, I don't know what I'm going to do and all this other stuff. And can I just let you know, it was one of the most revolutionary five days of my life. 
Because here's why. I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. All I could do was be with Jesus. And what I found was this. When I, I was forced into it, when I spent time with him, man, he had stuff to tell me. Man, he had good news to tell me. Man, he wanted to reveal some stuff in me. Matter of fact, I see a counselor every month because I'm jacked up just like you, right? You know what I'm saying? Like none of us have it all together. I see a counselor every month just to process life and things I'm going through and, and all this other stuff. None of us have it all together. We need each other. We need wisdom, people, the spirit. And I had a counseling call. Thank the Lord for Zoom. You know, I think about it all the time. I'm like, man, only if Skype could have held on for a few more years, they would have hit it big, right? You know, during this time. But I had a counseling call over Zoom and the counselor man spoke some stuff into me. There was this incredible breakthrough and then I had all this time to sit there and to process what God was saying. And at the end of this time, what I realized was this, Jesus, just like he was telling the church in Ephesus is, I have so much for you, but you gotta come back to your first love. The temptation is to make everything else in this world our first love. People's approval, our work, money, relationships, fashion, style, Instagram, anything you want, followers, all this other stuff. The temptation of Satan is to make everything else but Jesus the first love. What happens is when we slow down, we experience this love. I love what Bob Goff says, one of my favorite writers. He says this about love. He says, none of us really fall in love. I love this. None of us really fall in love. We just stop making everything about ourselves. And love floods into the space selfishness leaves behind. That's what it means to rest with God. God, I'm not going to make everything in my life about me. God, I'm going to make it about you. And what happens is this. You see the love of God come rushing in. Jesus doesn't just say, you better remember what you've done. He goes, remember, so you can begin to live the eternal life that I created you for all over again. Seven times in every letter to every church in Revelation, Jesus says this phrase, he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is speaking to you and I today. Jesus is discipling you and I today. Jesus has a word for us to listen and come back to our love. And then he says this, he says, repent, repent, meaning simply this. Sometimes that's a churchy word. Repent simply means this. It's to allow somebody else to guide your direction. See, repentance just isn't about feelings. It's about direction. Repentance is to say, this is where we're going to go. This is why when people became a Christian at the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and everybody said, what must we do to get saved? He says this in Acts 2, 38. He says, repent and be baptized. See, our baptism is a sign, a symbol, an outward expression of going, I'm no longer going my way. God, I am going your way. And what we do in baptism is this, we die to ourselves, but we also die with Christ and we begin to live his life to say, God, I'm no longer going any other way. I'm going your way. And this is why Jesus says, repent. And then he says this, and do the things you did at first. To come back, here's what repentance means. Repentance is going, God, I'm gonna change directions. But then he says this, repeat, go back to the things you did at first. Think about it. For some of you, you're here today and you're hungry. You're going, I'm not a Christian yet, but I, I know there's stuff and you're here. And God's just simply saying this, just keep showing up every week. Maybe for some of you, God's going, hey, pick up this journal, begin to feast on my word every day. Come back to these things 
that begin to define you. Because listen to what Jesus says here at the end. He says, church, you have this in your favor. He says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, here are what the practices of the Nicolaitans. Actually, that word Nicolaitan, it's where we get the word Nike from. You guys know what the word Nike means, right? Just do it, right? Nike actually means this, to conquer. This is why Nike was also the trademark of the Roman Empire, because we conquer things. Jesus says, I hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Here's what the practices of the Nicolaitans were. Nicolaitans would take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of whatever I wanted here and a little bit of however I wanted to live my life over here and a little bit of, I can't even say it, right? Promiscuous living over here. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. But I kind of do whatever I want over here. And Jesus goes, man. And he says this, here's why I don't like it. Is because eventually your sin, it conquers you and it chains you up and it keeps you from the life that God has for you. This is what sin does. We think sin gives us freedom. Actually, sin limits your life. He says, this is why I don't like the practices of the Nicolaitans. But then he says this at the very last thing to the church of Ephesus. This is what a good, you know, they call it a compliment sandwich when you're coaching. You come with the positive, you bring the negative, and then you end with the positive, right? And this is what I love about Jesus. He goes, I see these great things. Hey, come back to your first love. And then he gives us a promise at the end. Listen to what he says. He says, to him who overcomes, and here it is, you ready? It's the word Nike again. To him who lives in my victory, to him who lives in my conquering of sin and death. He says this, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You know what Jesus gives the invitation to, to Ephesus, and he gives you and I today? He goes, here's why I want you to love me. Because I want you to live in my victory today. You know how you and I live a life that is unshakable when everything in the world, I mean, every time, you can look at the news 15 times a day and a new story's busting out and it'll freak you out, won't it? You wanna know how you and I live unshakable? You live in the unshakable victory of Jesus on the cross. To him who overcomes, not by your good deeds, but him who overcomes by the love of our heavenly father, by the grace of Jesus. He says this, I will give you the right to eat with me in heaven. I will give you a future. I will give you victory now and I will give you victory later. But he says, church in Ephesus, come back to your first love. Come back to the one and the reason why you became a Christian in the first place. Here in a moment, we're gonna take communion and this is what I want us, this is what Jesus is saying and this, this is how I want us to view communion today. The band's gonna play a song for us here in a moment just to sing over us and I'm gonna come back and lead us in communion. But here's how I want us to view communion today. It's this, sometimes we come to communion and all we can think about is everything that we did wrong. God, I really messed up this week. I'm gonna take communion. God, I promise I'm gonna to try to do better this week. That's not communion. You know what communion is? Communion is you and I coming, going, yes, God, I have missed it. I know I failed, but here's what I'm doing. I'm letting this victory, this bread and the juice represent what you did on the cross to be what sets me free, to live in your victory today. It's your victory on the cross that frees me from sin. It's your victory 
that wants to be the center of my life that everything flows out of. And right now, Jesus says, let me be your first love. As they sing this song over you and I'll come back, I just want you to do that today, just to go, Jesus, where are you inviting me back to allow you to be the center of my life? Listen to the words of these songs and then I'll come back and I'll lead us in communion and a celebration of our victory. Let's listen to this song right now.